If you will, open up your Bibles to Philippians, the fourth chapter, and we're going to get into the Word of God. God's Word is so good. And I'm going to share on a topic that may have an interesting title because I thought, uh, you know, we know, most people know those scriptures, all things are possible. There's nothing impossible to him who believes. But do you know that there are some impossible things? Scripturally, there are some impossibilities. Oh, let me back up. All things are possible. I know we want to shout and go, man, all things are possible to him who believes. And, you know, all things are possible with God. But do you know, not all things are. Even though those scriptures are true, there are some things, and we're going to look at them, you know, because we know the Bible said it's impossible for God to lie. So we know just by that verse alone that there are some things that are impossible with God. But when he talks about all things being possible and nothing being impossible, it's in a setting. Are you with me? Everybody okay? In other words, it is impossible for everybody to go to heaven. It's possible, but where we live today, it's impossible because some have already gone to hell. And they can't come out. So we understand the possibilities he's talking about are possibilities that are in line with his will and his way and his word. And so notice this verse, and it's a familiar one, Philippians 4. 13. I can do most things. Now, we all know it says, I can do all things through Christ because God strengthens me and strengthens you to be able to do it. So there's divine strength so that you can do all things. But is it all things? All things. Will God strengthen you to rob a gas station? No. Will, will He strengthen you to hold a grudge? So you really have a good grudge? I, I used to be begrudging to these people, but now God has strengthened me, and I really can hold a grudge. I mean, I'm talking better than most because God strengthens me. No, we understand this. When he talks about his divine strength being there to help you, it's to help you to do the things that are in his will and in his word and in his way. And there is divine assistance. There is. There's divine strength to help you get through, do whatever God wants you or has for us to do, whatever his way. If he said forgive or whatever it was, he said, there is divine strength. If you will act, he'll help you. And you can declare boldly, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. With that being said, we're going to look at some things we can't do. But wait a minute, it says all things. But we know when he says all things, we have to know the category of the all things. And it's within his, the, the parameters of his word. And the things he wants. And there are some people who say, well, I cannot forgive. Yeah, you can. 
I don't know if I can make it. Yes, you can. But then right on the other hand, there are some things you and I cannot do. And we need to know what they are. Or we may try to do our Christian life and just flat get worn out. Because we're doing some things right, and then we've heaped or somebody has heaped and we've accepted things that just weigh us down and they're so interjoined together, the right thing and these other things that we just get tired along the way. And there are some things that we were not able to bear and are not able to bear, not able to carry. Everybody okay? So turn to Acts the 15th chapter. And this is important. We need to know that there are things we can carry and that we can do, and there are some things we cannot do. And we need to be wise enough to recognize there are just some things we cannot carry, we cannot bear, we cannot do on our own, or do, period. And we need to know them. Because when we have some of these things in our life, it's like carrying extra weight. Now, we might be carrying the weight of the things we're supposed to do, but then we're also carrying the weight of some things we cannot carry. How many of you know, if I have something in my left arm that I need to carry from here, you know, down to the corner, but I've got something in my right arm that is real heavy, and the two of them combined will just wear me out before I get to the corner then understand this, you might be thinking, well, I'm doing the right thing because I know what I've got in my left hand. I am supposed to carry to that corner. That is my assignment. But if I've got something in my other hand, that can make it so I don't make it there or it becomes a very real struggle to get there. Are you with me? And so what I'm doing is I'm carrying something that I'm not capable of carrying. You know, I know people who hike, and uh, sometimes when they go on hikes, they uh, carry stuff, and then they leave stuff hidden, and then hike on, and then come back and pick certain things up and carry it, because it's just so much weight. And they recognize, I can only carry so much, otherwise it becomes not possible, or I become very fatigued or more fatigued than I should be. And do you know that there are things like this in the Bible, writing to Christians, so right here in Acts 15, verse 10, uh, there was a time when uh, it was just Jewish people who were being reached with the gospel. And finally, the disciples, you know, in obedience to the Lord's command, started reaching Gentiles, meaning non-Jewish people, and probably for the most part, the majority of us here. And so the disciples went out and started reaching these people, and uh, there became all kinds of questions among religious people about what these Gentiles should be doing. And so there came this council of the church and the leadership, and we're going to jump right into the middle of the story in the 10th verse. It says, now therefore, why do you test God? Well, we know from Jesus' temptation and other scriptures, we're not supposed to test God. But notice how they tested him by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear. 
Isn't that an interesting statement? That there were religious people in the church that were loading down other disciples with rules, commandments, instructions to do certain things, and they were just putting a load on them. Those people were accepting it and, and doing it, but it was, notice what it says. It says, it was a load that neither our fathers nor we were able to bear. Isn't it interesting that a religious person might put some religious thing on somebody and they can't even do it themselves? They're wore out. It's not a scriptural thing per se. And we'll look at that. And all it did was by his scientific deduction, our forefathers couldn't do this. We couldn't do it. Why are we putting it on them? Hmm. Interesting. Makes you think, doesn't it? But we believe that through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved in the same manner as they. So whatever these rules were, they had to do with something that made these people feel like they were accepted by God or not accepted. These people that were getting these rules put on them already had salvation. They were already made new. But what happened was there was a bunch of religious ideas, and some religious ideas are good, right, helpful, but you can't take them as it being your salvation. Like, if I don't do this, I'm not saved. If I don't do this, I'm not accepted in the beloved. No, the Bible said, by the grace of the Lord we're accepted by God, not by our own works. Now look at this in the 19th verse, since it's going over real good. Uh, continuing on, therefore I judge, and they're going through this big discussion about not laying on people certain things. Because remember, we can do all things. But here he's saying, our fathers couldn't do this, we can't do this, let's not try and make them do it. Therefore I judge that we should not trouble, so notice, First, it was a yoke, which is like a thing you put across an animal to hook it up to a, like a cart or a plow and make them pull. You know, we need to be careful what we put on people. Is it practical? Is it real? Can they bear this? Is it realistic? Will this break them? Therefore, I judge that we should not trouble now, he said it was a yoke that I couldn't bear, our fathers couldn't bear. Now, he calls it troubling them. Hey, when you get saved, there's one thing that is so true. When you give your life to the Lord, he comes in and does such a work, we become an open slate. We become something to be written on. That's awesome, and it can be profoundly great and profoundly dangerous. That's why we need skilled people in the Word of God, because otherwise what happens is you have such a great experience with the Lord, then it comes down to, 
do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. And if some of those do's are not right, then they're carrying a load, but they had this great experience, but they're so young, they don't know the difference between what is gospel and what is just religious ideas or laws to keep that won't affect them properly. Well, we'll keep reading. Therefore, I judge that we should not trouble those from among the Gentiles who are turning to God, but that we should write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from things strangled, and blood. That's a pretty short list. We need more. He said, no, this is what we're going to do. Now, were more things written? Yes. But notice this. We couldn't bear the load. Our forefathers couldn't bear the load. Let's not put the same load that nobody's been able to bear on these people. Verse 24, since we have heard that some who went out from us have troubled you with words. Now, this is a letter being written to the Gentiles, to these people who had been being told, you got to keep this rule, you've got to do this, you have to do this. And, and they wrote this letter and said, wait a minute. We have found out that people have been putting a yoke on you and, and it's troubling you, but you're going down this path, so we're going to straighten this out with the truth. Notice these words, troubling you with words, unsettling your souls. Man, they know in their spirit they're made new, they've got life, but their soul is being troubled. Your soul you know, is used two ways in the Bible, meaning the whole person, spirit, soul, and body, or it is used of your mind and your emotions. Those are the two ways that word is used. And so he's saying here, your souls are being troubled. He doesn't mean your whole person. He means your emotions, your thinking, just you're getting tore up on the inside. And he said, you're being troubled and uh, this is not good. And so he said, unsettling your souls, saying, you must be circumcised and keep the law. Whoa, he told them by telling people you have to keep the law, that unsettles your soul. Now I'm going to read on, lest you throw stones at me. I didn't say this. The Bible said it. Remember the Bible said the law was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. Remember the law says that nobody could fulfill the law. What the law did was show people you are insufficient. You don't measure up. You can't get into heaven on your own works. But isn't it interesting, he said, after a person gets saved... Isn't it, isn't it interesting that he said things like this, or the Bible does? You're not under the law, but you're under grace. In other words, you're not under a bunch of rules that get you into heaven. You're under a free gift that made the way. I'm going to read something and then jump back into the verse. D.L. Moody, a great minister, maybe you've heard about him. 
And uh, he made this statement. He said, I'm glad we've been saved by grace and not by works because I don't want to sit around heaven for eternity and hear everybody bragging about how they got there. But I'm afraid that there are some people already bragging and we haven't even got there yet. Now, this isn't to make an excuse and just say, I'm a dirtbag. I can't do anything. Don't call yourself a dirtbag if you're saved. If you're not, you can call yourself a dirtbag. But you are precious to the Lord. He died for you. But if you're saved, don't call yourself that. The Bible said don't call yourself or anybody like that common or unclean. I mean, you are, the Bible said, God's handiwork. The Bible said you were recreated by God. I mean, think about it. If a kid does a craft, you know, oh, you did this craft? That's the ugliest thing I've ever seen in my life. It might be, but that's not what you're going to say. Because you're going to at least see some inherent beauty in it that they did something. You're like, awesome, a dog. They're like, no, that's a rabbit. Yeah, that's what I meant. But you're not going to talk like that. How much more should you not talk down about yourself if you're God's workmanship? And don't go, he made a mess out of me when he made me. He did not. You're only looking at the physical and the mental, not the spiritual part that was recreated in him under good works, the Bible said. And that's how he looks at you. Because technically, when one dies, their spirit goes to be with the Lord, not their body. God sees beyond your body when a person gives their life to the Lord. They're made totally different. So we should, even though we might see our own shortcomings, we should look at ourselves the way God does. I've been made new. There was a huge price paid for me. He is for me, not against me. Some of you might say, yeah, but I've done a bunch of wrong things. That's why we have the blood of Jesus. Not for you to be perfect, but we want to strive to do things right. Isn't that true? You know, too often people are trying to live right to be right with God instead of realizing God made them right, and therefore because they are right, they can live right. That's a big difference. That's a big difference. In other words, that means I'm already in so I can do stuff right instead of me trying to do right to get into some position. There's a vast difference. Though it may not be apparent because two people may be doing the same good thing, but one is working thinking, this will make me accepted. This will make God be pleased with me. And the other is, God's already pleased with me. He made me accepted in the beloved. I've been recreated in Christ unto good works. Therefore, I'm living them out. And my works don't make me accepted or rejected. I'm talking about a believer. I mean, it's amazing to me that the guy who preached his first sermon of the church just denied Jesus and custom and cussed. Now, I'm not suggesting we cuss. I thought I would have got more amens on that. Anyway, let's jump back in the middle of that verse. Well, we'll start over, 19. Therefore I judge, or verse 24, since we have heard that some who went out from us have troubled you with words, unsettling your soul, saying that you must be circumcised and keep all the law to whom we gave no 
such commandment. You know, there's a new commandment that's given to the church. And if you keep the new commandment, you don't have to try to keep any of the law. Because the Bible said, a new commandment I give you that you love one another. Another verse says, love will fulfill the law. If you just attempt to walk in God's love, he said, you will never break any law. If you love, you won't lie. If you love, you won't commit adultery, the Bible said. All the church is supposed to do is attempt to live in love. Now, love is not just ooey-gooey. I knew you'd appreciate that. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things. So, there are some things that are a burden and some things that are necessary. And we need to learn what is necessary and what is a burden that we cannot bear. What are those things if we're Christians? Because if we can figure them out, we can lay it aside. And it will make our walk much easier. Less of a burden. Notice the phrase, no greater burden than these necessary things. Some things are necessary, some things are not. We need to recognize some things in the Christian life are very necessary. Other things are just not necessary. It takes knowledge and it takes wisdom to implement these truths. Because you can get around some people and they'll say, Oh my, these people just talk, they, they're about living wrong and they're about, you know, you don't have to do anything. No, that's not what we're saying. But there are some things that, that the forefathers in the faith couldn't carry. The early apostles couldn't do it. The religious people were trying to push it on to the early Christians to do it. And they said, we couldn't do this. We can't lay this on these other people. And we need to recognize what, what are we laying on our kids? What are we laying on ourselves? What are we laying on other people? And more than just what are others laying on us, what really needs to be on us and what are we allowed to be laid on us and what should we not burden ourselves down with? Well, we notice here one of them is the law because the law, the Bible said this, Paul writing to Timothy in the Bible said the law or the Ten Commandments is for the lawless and the unbeliever. Once you get saved, the law is not for you to make you right with God. You are not made right with God by works. Notice the term yoke and load. Turn to Matthew 11. Maybe a familiar verse to you. Maybe you've been reading this lately. Maybe we need to revisit this. Where did the disciples in the early church, get some of these ideas that, that you could be burdened down as a follower of the Lord if you're not careful. 
or you can bring religious ideas in with you that were with you before you were saved, or you pick them up along the way and wonder where they got this idea from. Obviously, when we read these verses, we know they got these ideas from the Lord. Matthew 11, verse 28. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. He's not going to be harsh. And you will find rest for your souls. Isn't it interesting that the words there, unsettled, troubled souls, and a yoke that you and your fathers and their fathers and we could not bear. Man, the Christian life is not supposed to wear you down to where you can't do it. Now, if you add more to it, it will. But we should walk and not faint and run and not get weary. Our strength should be renewed. But notice these phrases. Verse 30, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now notice, they were putting a yoke on them and a burden on them that nobody could bear. It was impossible to bear. But notice what Jesus did not say. He did not say there is no yoke and there is no burden. When I go out to walk, I carry a water bottle with me a lot of times. That's real easy to carry. It's almost unnoticeable. But I know there's other people here who hike, but you know, if you recognize there's other things, you start putting more things in, and eventually you're like, I don't want to go past this weight because it'll make the journey too hard. And so we recognize that what he's asking us to do, there is a yoke. There is a joining up with him and a joining forces and an application of doing a work. And there is a load, but it's not unbearable. It's actually, one translation says it's pleasurable. How many people in their Christian walk started off pleased and pleasurable, and then we should still have a pleasing walk with the Lord? That doesn't mean we're not going to face trials. doesn't mean we're not going to face tests. But we should recognize the joy of our salvation and knowing the Lord personally and walking with Him. Have we gotten so much weighted down in our walk, we forgot about the, the Scripture that talks about the simplicity that is in Christ. Not the complexity, the simplicity. Just some thoughts. So if his yoke is easy and his burden is light, then there is a, a labor and there is a load, but it's very doable. 
The other one is impossible. And those are religious things. It's quite quiet in here this morning. There are many things that we were not created to bear. We weren't created to carry a bunch of burdens and loads and religious things, but there are some things we're to carry. Being together with believers, he told us to do that. Then we're capable of doing that, and it shouldn't wear us out. There's many things that we're told to do, but within their application, it shouldn't weigh us down. Beyond what we're able till we crumble. Notice this, and we're just going to go over a couple of verses real quick. Another area where you're not able to do this, Philippians, the fourth chapter. And it's interesting, we read the verse, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. But in the context, he's teaching us that as Christians, you cannot bear the load of worry. It's a load you cannot carry. It's, it's something the Lord commanded His followers, don't be worried. Remember Matthew 6, there's so much about worry. Jesus went over, don't worry, don't worry, don't fear, don't worry. And then the disciples, why is it that you're not to worry? You know, it's real common if, if, if you don't worry, you don't care. No, it's completely the opposite. We are not to worry. Notice it says, verse 6, Be anxious or careful or worrisome for nothing, but everything by prayer, with a humble request, making your requests made known to God with thanksgiving. That means you're taking your care. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, Casting all your cares, anxieties, worries, over upon him once and for all because he cares for you. Why are you to bear your burden to the Lord and put it on him, the worry? Because you can't carry it on your own. You were not created to carry worry. No Christian is. Worry will harm you. Worry is not good. Why is worry not good? Because really worry is just this. Worry is planning for wrong and failure by picturing and pondering about a bad outcome. You weren't created like that. Forever and ever, we're going to always see a positive, good outcome. Worry is just looking at the negative. And the Bible said, why do you worry why do you fear God will prepare and take care of you? Don't be like the rest of the world who pursues these things. Seek Him first. And He tells us, don't worry. Worry is a divided mind where we're entertaining a picture of failure. Why are there so many promises in the Bible of success and victory and conquering and winning? It's so that we can put our mind on those things. Because worry looks at the bad picture. If God is for us, the Bible said, who can be against us? But worry is a big robber. And nobody can bear that. And nobody was truly created to bear worry. 
no matter what anybody says. If anybody would do a thorough study of what the Bible says about worry, you would go, oh, we're not supposed to do that. If you go look at the list of the people who go to hell in the book of Revelation, the very first thing is the worrisome and fearful. Somebody's like, oh, great. Now I'm going to go to hell. <laughs> no, that's not what I'm saying. That just means maybe you're bearing something you were not created to bear as a believer when he cares for you and asks you to put that over on him and start trusting him. And then he will cause peace to rule in your heart and mind. One other thing that he wants you to uh, not bear is certain weights. You know, Romans 12.1 said, Lay aside every weight and every sin. Notice he doesn't call weights sins and he doesn't call sins weights. He just said there are some things that will slow you down, weigh you down, tire you out on your walk with God that are not sin. They're not. And we should know the difference. And recognize, am I doing too much that's just weighing me down and tiring me out, and there's just some things that I just am not supposed to be bearing because I'm not capable, because if I pick these things up, then what is going to happen is I'm just going to get overly tired in my walk with God, kind of like the story at the beginning. I've got the part I'm supposed to bear. I've got this other thing that's just a weight. Might not be bad. Everybody else may be doing it. But God will let you know what a weight is. He'll deal with you about things, what to do and what not to do. You're his child, but you have to realize some weights are not sin. And they're not evil. And they don't make sense, maybe to the natural mind, well, why can't I do this? Everybody else does it. But it may just be for you uh, that it's, it's too much to bear right now and it would tire you out. It, it would draw too much attention. And so when God deals with you about something, don't go, oh, but it's not a sin, Lord, and everybody's doing it. He knows that. But He knows what you can bear and what you can't bear. That doesn't make you a weak person. Well, if everybody else can bear it, yeah, but the load he's having you carry for his kingdom may be different than what he's having them bear. And the other side is this. They may be saying the same thing you're saying. How come you're asking me to lay this down, Lord, and everybody else does it? If we could hear him talk, he might say, I've tried to talk to Sally, and I've tried to talk to Fred, and I've tried to talk to Joe about this, and I've tried to talk to them about it, but they keep saying the same thing you're saying. Hallelujah. That's why it's not always wise to judge among ourselves and look at what other people are doing. So I guess in closing, we just need to recognize there are religious things in our walk with God that maybe need to get jettisoned. There may be some things in our life that may need to be jettisoned. Some religious ideas, and I know this can be a tricky one. You know, I remember I went to Bible school 
And they, they basically, you know, when I was in Bible school, they said, you know, if you're a minister, you wear a tie all the time. Period. I mean, we, we did water baptisms. We baptized people not with a suit jacket, but with a tie on. Now, you may laugh at that now, but I mean, that just, there were no questions. And I became a youth pastor, you know, right after the Ice Age. Okay, several years ago. I was a youth pastor for almost 16 years. And there was certain expectation. We live in Southern California, and I remember this big evolution of changing how you dress. You mean it was okay to wear shorts? But I went to a church when I was a kid that the youth group was huge, and the youth leaders wore shorts and did things like that. And, but then I remember when we stopped wearing ties to baptize people. Whoa. But you can tell this is a religious idea because you can go over to India and they don't, you know, or to Africa and they don't wear ties. You can go down to Central America and they don't have them. That's why I always think we got to be careful what we do and how we say things. You know, I think giving candy to a girlfriend or your boyfriend or to a spouse, great. Flowers, great. Just don't make it a rule. Because if it's an absolute rule, go tell the people who live in a tribe in Africa or in, in the mountains of Central America that you need to give flowers or chocolates. Chocolates? What's that? The only thing that looks like chocolate down there is... Anyway... I'm just saying, you can't make a rule of it out of it, but it doesn't mean it's something bad. But sometimes, like, you know, you have to do this, and you have to do this, and rules get set up that sometimes don't make a difference and just become a weight. Worry, never good. And some of this goes away in growth. And I'm not saying we should dress, you know, like a slob or whatever, you know? That was nice. I, I think it's good to dress nice, but I think that's relevant in certain ways. I mean, not even business people today, uh, for the most part, wear suits and ties. And in certain climates, wearing a suit and tie in Arizona when it's 115 and you're wearing a wool suit... I'm just saying, we have rules in the Bible about modesty. Things like that. But I am saying, we can grow and recognize there are some things that just do need to be laid aside.